welcome everybody today and uh, say thank you to everyone. Last week, that was, wow, that was great. Um, <clears throat> three months uh, sabbatical. We're, uh, Trish and I are looking forward to it, trying to uh, figure out, you know, what, what are we going to do for three months? And I think we've already filled it up at least once, but uh, kind of going through all the different things that we'd like to do. And, and so we're really looking forward to that and very appreciative of it. This morning we're going to be in Hosea chapters 8 and 9, and, and so as you turn and find that, um, it's uh, one of the things that as you come in up above the door out there, it, it has our mission statement, loving Christ, serving others, building believers, and, and I want to look today at what it means to, to love Christ, how, how that looks. In Hosea, you see something that's, that's opposite of that. But, but if we take it and, and look and, and flip to the other side of the coin, we see what does it look like to love Christ. So the first thing, loving Christ, is following. In chapter 8, verses 1 through 6, we, we see this. It says, set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cry, my God, we, Israel, know you. Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your cap, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel. A craftsman made it. It is not God. The cap of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. So, We come in and, and look at this. Obviously, this is God speaking to Israel. But if we come in and we look at the principle in there and, and we see what it, what it means for us to follow Christ, to love Christ, to, to, um, to go with him and, and to be the people that he has called and created us to be, following Jesus, it's an all-in proposition. It means that I am going all-in, that I am giving my everything to that. It doesn't matter what our occupation is or where we are. It means that I'm living my life for Christ, wherever he has placed me, however he has gifted me, whatever he has, um, wherever he has put me, I'm using myself and I am all in for Christ. It means that I'm being vigilant over my spiritual condition. I'm vigilantly watching over that. And, and what Hosea uses here is a picture. He uses a picture of a vulture on the temple. So as, as you come in, he says, one like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Now you kind of look at that and think, well, what, what's the, a vulture is an unclean animal. I mean, it's, it's nasty. They're dirty. I don't know if you've ever seen a vulture. The closest thing we have to vultures up here is bald eagles. When we have family come up and visit them, we take them to the dump to view them. And, you know, I want to see an eagle. Well, come on with me. You'll see him with bags of trash and everything else. And, and you can get up close and personal with the majestic bald eagle as he scavenges. And, and um, the difference between an eagle and a vulture, the only difference is a vulture doesn't hunt. They, they strictly eat roadkill and, 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 that, and carrion. So, so that's what they are. But he's saying there is a vulture or a bird of prey, or an eagle on your temple. And, and so if you come in and you understand the, the ramifications of that, this is a very unclean critter. And, and not just that, that they're, you, you don't want one as a pet, but, but not just that, 
but they are unclean in the sense of they are unholy. If you come back and you look in the Old Testament, you say, this is, this is an animal that's unclean. You stay away from it. It's not good. It's not healthy. It's, it's bad. And, and, this, and one has lit on the temple, on the dwelling place of God, and said, look, if this happened, if this would have happened in their time with their people, they would have gone out, they would have blown the trumpets, they would have banged the pots and pans, they would have made noise. I mean, if they'd had a shotgun, they'd have pulled it out and shot it. They would have taken care of the problem because nothing vile like that should be on the temple of God. It, it should be cleared out. And, and so it, it's, it's like that. And so they don't even realize what God is saying to them. Say, look, there's a vulture that's landed on your spiritual temple, on you. And you don't even realize it. You don't even realize how unclean you are spiritually. You don't realize how far you've drifted from me. And, and the charge that God is laying against him is he's saying you've rebelled, you've rebelled against me. You've spurned the good. Um, the enemy is going to pursue you. You made kings, but, but they weren't my kings. You didn't consult me. You didn't ask me. You set up princes over yourself. You didn't ask me. You didn't pursue me. You didn't speak to me. You weren't following me. You were doing your own thing. You're doing your own thing. They were following after false gods, choosing their own kings, and making idols of silver and gold. Look, this is a people who never left the golden calves that they did back in Exodus. They've never really left that false worship. They keep going back to who they were rather than who they were created and called to be. And, and so God's charge is that they're doing their own thing, not his thing. Jesus clearly states to us his expectation when we come into a relationship with him. In Luke 2, 21, verses 34 and 36, he says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, look, there's going to be a time of reckoning. There's going to be a time that you stand before me. There's going to be a time when you give an account of your life, of, of, of who you followed, of what you've chased after, of what you've longed for, of what your heart is, of what your desire, of your spiritual temple. Did you let a buzzard land on it? Did you take care of it? And so this is where he's going. And Israel had forgotten this principle and they were facing a devastating future. This is what God is saying. He said, I've spurned your calf. I don't want that. That's not what I'm looking for. And my anger is burning against you. And, and how long are you going to be incapable of doing the right thing? How long is it going to take from you? So this is where he's coming. And, and so as we come in every single day, we have opportunities each day to look to God. Each of us has an opportunity. When we wake up in the morning, we have the choice. We can choose to wake up, to, to seek the Lord, to seek his direction, to seek, to, to ask for him, to show us what he's doing around us, to, to show us the lives of the people that, that our lives will intersect and how we can be the presence of Christ to them, how we can encourage them spiritually, how we can comfort those who are afflicted and, and on and on and on. And, and and as we come in, in Micah 7, 7, Micah put it this way. He said, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Micah, as he prophesied to the people, um, he came in. He said, you know what? This, this may be where you are, but this is where I am. And I'm looking to God. 
And I'm trusting God. And, and I will wait for the God of my salvation. And I know and I trust that he'll hear me. So as we come in, is the first thing of loving Christ is following. And it means that our prayers are focused on being a part of God's plans and purposes. Our prayers aren't just telling God what we're thinking or what we want or, or what our plans are, but instead our, our prayers are coming before him saying, God, I want to follow you today. I want to seek you today. I want to be after you today. I want to be a part of what you're doing around me today. I want to intersect the lives that, that you're intersecting, and I want to be a part of that. And, and we follow him <clears throat> By seeking, seeking Him, that's where we find joy, that's where we find contentment, that's where we find provision. The next thing is, after following, is investing. In verses 7 through 10, Hosea goes on, he says, For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads, it shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Israel is swallowed up, already there among the nations as a useless vessel. For they have gone up to Assyria a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them, and the king and princes shall soon writhe because of the tribute. So as, as we come into this, what, what God is saying is, he's saying instead of investing in the things of God, and in, investing in the kingdom of God, they're investing in something totally different. They threw themselves to the wind. He said, they sow the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. And, and what he says, he says, look, you're standing grain. You think that your crops are going to provide for you? Your grain's not producing heads. And, and I want to tell you something, even if it were producing, I'd take it away. I would take it away because of the way that you're living. Um, and, and what he's saying is, is that they are worshiping at every conceivable altar they're going anywhere they can and there's a schism in their love that's going on here and it's getting the result that that really you, you would expect you would expect it if in your marriage you had two different loves going on in there there, there would be problems right in any relationship, if, if you violate that relationship, there are going to be problems. And rather than trusting God, they were trusting in their own resources and abilities. Here's, here's what he's saying. He's saying you, you are trusting in your crops. You're trusting in, in the things you have. And rather than trusting God, they, they've come in and the results are that he gives three results here. He says, first of all, he says that... Um, they are among the nations as a useless vessel. They're among the nations as a useless vessel. What, what, what it, we're talking about there, he's talking about a vessel that would hold something, like a, a clay pot or something along that lines. He's saying that this pot's no good. It's got a hole in it. It's, it's cracked. Something there, doesn't, it doesn't work. It's useless. Today, we would look at it in terms of a coffee mug that the handle's broken off of. You might be able to use it, and, and you know if you're just really cheap, you'll keep on going, but but probably you got a zillion of those things anyway, and you'll toss it, but it could be cracked. And you know, if I put something hot in there, it could shatter when I lift it up to drink, and, and you wouldn't do it. Or it could be like one of those cups out in the trash out there. Nobody's digging around for one of those. Go, I need a cup of coffee. Let me get something out of the trash here. Nobody does that. We don't, we don't live like that. And he's saying, why are you doing this? Your... Um, <clears throat> your, your um, you become like a useless vessel. And the next thing is that they're out of, um, it says they're an empty vessel and basically saying you're out of money. You're out of money. You have nothing to give as tribute to these nations around you and therefore you're useless to them. He's pointing out to them, look, you're broke. You're broke. 
and you have nothing to pay the nations around you anymore for protection or for safety or for being their ally. He says, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're worth nothing to them. You are no longer worth anything to the nations around you. And the next thing is that you're like a wild donkey wandering alone. Um, in other words, it's saying that, that Israel left the safety of their pasture, the safety of their, their group, and they wandered off alone. And they looked to Assyria and Egypt for help, but they were denied and left to wander. So he's saying you're wandering around because you don't have any resources. You can wander forever, but you're not going to find anyone to help you. And then the last picture is a man who gains love by giving money to a prostitute only to discover that he has wasted his money and gained no love in return. He says that they had, um, he says that, uh, he says they hire, Ephraim has hired lovers. They've hired lovers. You can't hire a lover. You can't buy someone's love. It doesn't work like that. And, and so he just says, that this is what it is. And he goes back to the theme of the very beginning of Hosea and Gomer and saying, you know, you can't, you, you don't buy love. It doesn't happen that way. So they'd spent everything that they had buying alliances with Israel, uh, with um, Assyria and Egypt. They'd tried to buy them, but now they're broke and they're of no use. So, so these are the things that are going up. So as, as we come in, they were investing in the wrong places. Jesus speaks to it this way in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So <clears throat> we come in and, and we look and, and we see that all of their effort... All of their dreams, they were for nothing. They were left empty and longing for something more. They kept trying and trying and trying. They, they were chasing after it, and they were chasing after everything that this world has to offer, and, and it didn't fill the gap. It just wouldn't work. You see, the grace of God is what does that. The grace of God is what fills us. The grace of God is what satisfies us. The grace of God drives us to invest in the kingdom of God because we understand the mercy of God. It's not because I've done the right things. It's not because I bought the love of God. It's, it's not because of any of those things. It's because God is a God of love and grace and mercy, and he has shown that to me, and he invites me to follow him and to invest in his kingdom so we can chase after everything that this world has to offer we can gain it and, and we can pass it on to the next generation but if we forget that the knowledge of God and the understanding of who we are in Christ is the most important thing we fail we fail miserably we'll be hollow and empty and wanting it's the most important thing and, and, and this is something that I've watched over years as a pastor over 30 years I've watched people I've watched them start with children and do really well and then as, as, as things, as, as the, the activities increase and, and the things that vie for our time increase and everything, they drift away from their spiritual commitments. Drift away. And when we drift away, we become a mile wide and an inch deep. We have all kinds of experiences, all kinds of things, and we can pass all that stuff along. And, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with activities. There's nothing wrong with experiences. There's, there's nothing wrong with a lot of the things that we go after. It's not that. What's wrong is, is that we're investing 
our lives in that rather than in the kingdom of God. When we invest our lives in the kingdom of God, all of the other things around come in as a complement to that. They come in and, and they are a part where we worship God and we experience God and, and we honor Him as we experience the good things that He brings into our lives. So the, the first thing is following. The next thing is investing. The next thing is remembering. In verses 11 through 14 is remembering. It's remembering who we are. He says, because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning, they've become to him altars for sinning. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they would be regarded as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt, for Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her strongholds. So as, as we come in, in this section, there's three ironies that are taking place. First, the altars that they're building, and, and they're making more and more and more of them. And they're making these altars to cleanse themselves of their sin. Instead, they're increasing their sin. They're making it worse. Instead of doing what they want, it's making it even worse. Second, the people are treating God's laws as if they were the teachings of a foreign religion. He, he goes in, he says, not only are you... Um, Increasing your altars, he said, well, for I to write for them my laws by the ten thousands, they would be regarded as a strange thing. He says, you don't even know my word. You don't even know who I am. You don't know anything about me. And then third, the effect of their sacrifices um, that they have on God are the um, opposite of what they expect. He says, as for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. No, now he'll remember their iniquity and punish their sin. They shall return to Egypt. He says, because you've forgotten. You've forgotten your maker. You've forgotten who you are. And you've built palaces. And, and Judah's multiplied fortified cities. So I will send fire on these cities. And I'm going to break it down and bring you back to the point where you need to be to know me. Because loving Christ means that we remember what he did. And we're familiar with his word. If, if we come back and go back to um, the verse for the, the whole years, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the picture of the love of God. The, the, the love of God says that he knew me before I was born. He knew every detail of my life. He knows everything that's going to happen. He knows the day that I'll take my first breath, my last. He knows every intimate detail of my life. And, and he knows every fault that I have. He knows every insecurity that I have. He knows every sin that I've ever committed. And he still loves me. That's the love of God. That's the grace of God. That's the picture of God. And, and that's the love that he was extending to Israel. He knew everything about them. And it says that God shows his love for me in this. And in the midst of all that, Jesus came and died for me. God came, God became a man and died for me. That's the extent of his love and, and that we're to remember that. So, so you know that when as we talk about the extravagant love of God, and I'm going to use that over and over and over again because it's a snapshot of, the, of God's grace and his extravagant love. It's, it's just a picture of that. God shows his love for me in this, that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. God 
has shown his love to you in this, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. He loves you. He desires you to know him. And in Psalm 119.16, the psalmist uh, puts it this way. It says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. He's saying, I'm remembering who you are. I'm delighting in you and I am saturating myself in this so that I will know it. And we have to have a love for God's word or we're going to be easily led astray. It's a love for the things of God. And, and they didn't recognize this. This is the problem. God's saying, you didn't remember. You don't remember who you are. You don't know who you are. And, and so that's where we're being driven and called into this. And then the next thing is trusting in chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. He goes on and he says, Rejoice not, O Israel, exalt not like the peoples, for you played the whore, forsaking your God. You have loved a prostitute's wages on, thresh, on all threshing floors. Threshing floor and wine vats shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail them. They shall not remain in the land of the Lord, but Ephraim shall return to the Lord, and they shall eat unclean food in Assyria. They shall not pour drink offerings of wine to the Lord, and their sacrifices shall not please him. It shall be like mourner's bread to them. All who eat of it shall be defiled. Their, for their bread shall be for their hunger only. It shall not come to the house of the Lord. What will you do on the day of the appointed festival and on the day of the feast of the Lord? For behold, they are going away from destruction, but Egypt shall gather them. Memphis shall bury them. Nettles shall possess their precious things of silver. Thorns shall be in their tents. The days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The man of the spirit is mad because of your great iniquity and great hatred. The prophet is the watchman of Ephraim. With my God, yet a fowler snare, snare is on all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember the iniquity. He will punish their sins. Trusting this section is about trusting. Israel thought that Baal would deliver. As you read through this, you see that Israel thought that the gods of the land would deliver and that the fertility cult would bring health, wealth, and prosperity. That, that they would receive all of the good things of the earth if they worshipped this god of fertility. And, and what she received instead, what we see is this brokenness and despair. They sought after one thing. They, they received something totally the opposite of that. And, and truthfully, that's what happens anytime we seek something other than God. When I seek something other than God, I get totally a totally different result than what I expect. What I, what I get is brokenness. And, and destruction. And the benefits they thought um, the fertility cult would bring were sexual license and agricultural prosperity. They're an agrarian society. So they're still very much like us. They have the same physical desires and all this other stuff. But, but they're an agrarian society. And in an agrarian society, what you want is you want crops that produce lots Lots and lots of grain, lots and lots of food. You want animals that produce lots and lots and lots of offspring. And you want families that are really, really big to work all of that. Because that's where your strength and, and, and everything comes from. And so they, they thought that this would come, but their offerings were unsuitable. 
God goes on, he says, you know, the bread that you're bringing to me, it's, it's no good for worship. You can't bring that into my house. You can't come worship me with that. I'm seeking something totally different. This is the bread of mourning. It's, it's defiled. You can eat it. You can fill your belly, but you'll be hungry again and again and again. You can't come to me and, and be satisfied with something that's unclean, that's not there and not right. And, and the nations that they prostituted themselves are going to destroy them. So basically what God is saying is you've trusted in everything and you've trusted in nothing. You've trusted in everything and consequently nothing. Consequently, you, you have no. Your worship of God is hollow and without effect. They had no trust. They had no understanding of who they were. You know, when you come into the family of God, you need to understand who you are. When you come to Christ, you need to understand that you are a member of a family. You're fully loved, fully accepted, fully a part of it. You're not just kind of good enough. You're not just good enough to slip in the back door and sit in the back row or to maybe think that God might let you live on the back 40 sometime. No, you are a child of God. You are a member of the family. When you have a baby come into your family, it's a member. It is a celebrated, welcome member. It pukes on you. It's still a celebrated, welcome member. It does other stuff. It's still a celebrated, welcome member, and you might give it back to his parents. But it's a part of your family. I've got a cousin that actually is um, my cousin by marriage. He's married to my cousin, whom I'm very close with. And, and have been since, since we were young. And, and um, he's been in the hospital. He's been in ICU for a couple of weeks. He's in, they got him in a, a paralysis or a coma or something for COVID. He's in bad shape, horrible shape. Sammy's in bad, bad shape. And, and he's got all kinds of things going on. And, and um, I got a text from, you know, we, I talked to her a week ago. And, and she told me, you know, they, they've told me it's, that he's probably not going to come out of it. And, and so then I got a text this morning. Well, he's actually doing a little bit better, and they're hoping to bring him out and, and, and wean him off of the oxygen and everything maybe sometime this week. And, and so that's a, a tremendous prayer um, uh, answer. But, but here's the thing. He's always been, a, to me, a part of my family. He, he wasn't an outsider who came in. He married into my family, and, and he's a part of the family. He didn't have to prove that he was a part of my family. He didn't have to do anything to become a part of it. As a matter of fact, we just connected and, and became friends and, and have been for, for many, many years, you know, probably 40 years. And um, so it's, it's just one of those things. You see, when you come into the family of God, you're a part. You're a, a part, an important part. Every part matters. And, and this is what God is, is saying to the people. You, you've forgotten who you are. You're not trusting me. You're not trusting in who I am. You're trying to earn my favor. You're trying to be something. You're trying to buy fulfillment. You're trying to earn it. You're looking in it all around. He's saying instead, you just need to trust me. Turn to me and I will meet those needs. In Second Chronicles 14, 11, King Asa 
cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you but to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. Do you notice what what Ace is saying there? He's saying, we're your family. When, when, when you have an enemy come against you, they're against us. And when they're against us, they're against you. Because we all belong. We're together. And, and Asa is saying, we trust you. In, in 2 Chronicles 20.12, Jehoshaphat, he's severely outnumbered. And he says, oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What he's saying is, is if you don't show up, we're toast. We don't know what to do, but we trust you. We trust you. You see, these are examples of people who trusted God in the most critical points in their life. The most critical times in their life, they understood who they were. They, they knew what Christ had done. They, were, they knew what God had done. They were following God. They were investing in, in their spiritual well-being and in the well-being of their nation. And they were remembering who they were in Him and trusting Him. In Psalm 25, 2, David said, Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. David, he, he just pushed it even further. He says, don't, don't let me do shameful things. Keep me right with you. Don't let my enemy rejoice over me. Um, at Gibeah, when he comes in, it says, This was as in the days of Gibeah. They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity and he will punish their sins. Gibeah. What is Gibeah? Gibeah is a city. Gibeah is where there was a Levite. His concubine had left. He goes to get his concubine. When he goes, he stays. He stays another day and, and he stays. And then finally, the, the, uh, the next day, he, her father says, Just stay one more. He says, No, I'm leaving. And so he leaves late in the day and he goes <clears throat> he stops at Gibeah he stays in Gibeah for the night and in the night they go and they come and they take the men of the town take his concubine and they violate her to the point of death he gets up the next morning because he's the scum of the earth and and he comes in and he, he goes and tries to wake her up he didn't try to protect her he didn't care about her and and he sees that she's dead. So instead of mourning her, he cuts her into 12 pieces and ships a piece to each of the 12 tribes of Israel to call them to war. That's Gibeah. That's what God is saying. It says, in the days of Gibeah, they've deeply corrupted themselves. So this is where he's saying, and this is what happens when we're not trusting God. We corrupt ourselves. And then he goes on in verses 10 through 17. He talks about producing, producing in there. He says, like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season, I saw your fathers. But they came to Baal Peor and consecrated themselves to this thing of shame. And they became detestable like the thing they loved. Ephraim's glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. 
Even if they bring up children, I will bereave them till none is left. Woe to them when I depart from them. Ephraim, as I have seen, was like a young palm planted in a meadow. But Ephraim must lead his children out to slaughter. Give them, O Lord, what will you give them? Give them mis- uh, miscarrying womb and dry breasts. Evil, every evil of theirs is in Gilgal. There I began to hate them because of the wickedness of their deeds. I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebels. Ephraim is stricken. The root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Even though they give birth, I will put their beloved children to death. My God will reject them because they have not listened to him. They shall be wanderers among the nations. Producing, producing. Israel fell into worshiping Baal after centuries of dipping their toes into the waters of the false god. This didn't happen overnight. It was a little bit at a time. Every now and then they would just, they would just go over there and, and, and try a little bit of what Baal had to offer. They would just try a little bit of this and add a little bit of this in there. And Baal, uh, Baal Peor was the place where Balaam <clears throat> enticed the Israelites to sleep with Moabite women. And Phinehas stopped the plague when he killed a man and woman caught in the act. In in uh, Numbers chapter 25, you read the story. It's, it's the story uh, that uh, Balaam, we'll see in the New Testament, Balaam actually said, this is how we'll get them to destroy themselves. I can't call down a curse on them, but uh, God won't let me do that. But I'll tell you, if you want to destroy them, just get them to intermingle with the Moabite women. You just get their men to move in with these women who are worshiping false gods, and those men will follow those gods in a heartbeat. They're not strong enough to resist him or to resist them. And, and so as it all comes up, <clears throat> they're called out. And, and Moses and Aaron are telling the people, you cannot do this. You have to put these women away. These women cannot be in the camp. They cannot be a part of who we are. They are not worshipers of God, and we will not do that. And in the middle of it, a guy comes up and bringing one in and goes into his tent and Phineas sees it and he just takes his spear and goes in there and takes them both out. And you don't think the Bible's exciting? I mean, man, there are some crazy stories in there. I mean, it would make the biggest action movie you've ever seen. And, and they come in and, and Phineas just, he says, man, and, and God commends him for it. God says, he was zealous for me. He was zealous for the things of me. He said, in other words, this is what it is. He is calling them to be <clears throat> productive. Gilgal was the center of evil um, as, as we come in. And, and then as we come in there, it, it was the place of evil in the land. And, <clears throat> and this is going back to the story. You know, Gilgal was the place where they say what happens in Gilgal stays in Gilgal. It was like the Vegas of the 8th century B.C. It was a bad place. It was a wicked place, a dark place. It wasn't the place that you wanted to send your sons and daughters. And, and so <clears throat> you, could, you could do that. So what's the point of this section? What, what is it all about? You go, you've gone off the rails, man. We're talking about pr- producing, and you're talking about people going wacko. And, and this is they all wanted the material things of this world. What it came down to was they wanted the stuff of the world. They wanted everything that this world has to offer and God had become their means for getting it. God was not the God that they worshipped because God provided for them, because God gave them life and breath, because God loved them, because God delivered them from slavery, because God had blessed them richly, because God had done all of these things. No, 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 no. 
They had moved from that to being, I want from him. I want from him. I want from him. And it wasn't that they wanted God. It's they wanted the things that God could give them. It would be like if you ever had a friend. They really weren't your friend. They were your friend because they liked your sister. Or they were your friend because they wanted to get something from you. And this is what God is saying. This is what the Israelites were like. They, they were pursuing me for the wrong reasons. And, and what God was saying is, is, is that they were whores. He's saying, you're whoring after the things of the earth instead of me. And God's desire for them was something totally different. God's desire for them was not that. God's desire for them was for them to know him, to love him, to experience him, to experience the blessing of knowing God and the peace that comes from that. In Psalm 1 the psalmist puts it this way. The very first psalm says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sets in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. You see that? That's what God wants in each of our lives. That's what he desires for you. He wants you to be like a tree planted by streams of water. I grew up where we didn't really have trees. I mean, I thought we had trees. But then I drove north and west and I realized that there are places that really have trees. I mean, like serious trees. Big, tall trees. I walked in the redwoods and I saw those and I was just kind of jaw dropped like trees, man. I mean, these are trees. These aren't like I thought a big tree was an oak tree about like this. And, and that's that's uh, that's not a big tree. But but my brother and I, we lived on a on a 15 acre plot for a while that uh, that we had a creek going down on the back of it. And on that creek, on that bank there were some black walnut trees that grew. And there was a black walnut tree on that creek that I'd never seen a tree like that in my life. I mean, the branches on it, I couldn't get my arms around them. I mean, they were humongous. And the base of the tree, oh my gosh, you could have cut board feet of lumber out of it. I mean, it was big, 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 big. And, and you know why? Because Texas is a God-forsaken land. It's extremely hot. It's really cold right now. But that, those are the extremes. Man, it's a, it's, it is not a pleasant place to live in, in the extremes of temperatures, be, be they hot or cold. And, and they get both, believe it or not. Um, and, and, and here's the deal. When you get away from water, nothing grows. It's just like here. And, and that tree grew big. You know why it grew big? Is on that creek, and that creek always had some moisture there. Even in the hottest of hot, that tree was sucking up nutrients. It was sucking up water. It was growing. It was flourishing. And the trees that were 600 yards away, they were toothpicks. They were nothing. And you know what? That's what God wants us to be. That's what God wants us to be. Blessed is he who will follow the Lord. He'll be like a tree planted firmly by streams of water. And he will yield his fruit in its season. You'll produce. You'll produce. You'll make. And it made black walnuts. I don't like black walnuts. But it made lots of them. 
I mean, that's like trying to crack a marble to get a little piece of nothing out of it. But, uh, <clears throat> but, but that's the way it is. He says, you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. In all that he does, he prospers. What an amazing promise from God. And he says, the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see, so before we go from there, to just say, well, you know what? If I just do the right things, if I live my life the right way, if I'll believe the right things, if I will say the right things, if I will do the right things or believe that it's going to happen, if I'll just have the the right amount of faith, then then I'm going to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. I'm going to get everything I want. I mean, that that would be a, a natural conclusion. We might go to that and say, you know what? If I'll just live a good Christian life, everything will be rosy. That's not the truth. The, the problem is, is Jesus says something totally different to that. Paul had a totally different take on that. When you come in in 1 Corinthians 4, 8, here's what Paul said. He said, already you have all that you want. He's speaking to people around who are Christians, who are saying you know, that, that they're super Christians. He says, already you have become rich. Without us, you become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul said, you know what? I have lived when things were really good. I've lived high on the hog, and I've lived on the scraps and I've been all in between and it has nothing to do with my walk with Jesus it has nothing to do with my faith in him it has nothing to do with his faithfulness to me it has to do with the fact that I live in a fallen broken world and in a fallen broken world bad things happen but what he says is in Philippians 4 12 he says I, I, know how to, I know how to live when things are good, and I know how to live when things are bad. I know how to live when I'm at the peak of life, when everything's going my way, and I know how to live when, when I don't know how I'm going to take my next step, when life has gotten so bad and things are so dark that I just don't know where to go or what to do or where my next meal is going to come from or where I'm going to find comfort or strength or anything else. You know what he said? He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Look, we take that to say that I can do anything. That's not what it means. What Paul is saying is, he's saying, I can do anything in this world. I can, I can make it through any situation, any circumstance, no matter what it is. I can, I can live it with the extreme amount of blessing and, and all the things that this world has to offer. And I can do that, and I can make it through it, and I can stay true to God, and I can worship God in the midst of all of that, of having plenty, and know how He wants me to use that to produce for His kingdom. I can do it and stay close to Him and not be sucked away and driven into something else. 
And when I get to where the, the depths of despair, where I don't know what I'm going to do, I know that he's with me. And I know that he'll never leave me. And I know that he'll walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death like he did with King David. I know that in the presence of my enemies that he will fill my cup. And I know that he will anoint my head with oil. And you go, whoa, stop there. No oil on this head. Um, I'm not t- he's not talking about that. He's saying that is, that is the picture of healing and and. And the best things that this world has to offer of giving. And he's saying, you know what? I just know that my God is with me no matter what. And that he will go there. You see, Jesus never promised us an easy life. He never promised us a wealthy life. He never promised us that, that we would be loved by everybody around us. Or that we would never be persecuted. No, he said that we would face difficulties on account of him. He said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. He said, no servant is greater than his master. He said, that, that you should expect you should expect to be reviled by people around you and it's a good thing for us to remind ourselves in our culture today it's a very good thing for us to remind ourselves of that, that when we stand firm on the word of God and true to the things of God that, that we're not going to be applauded for that and, and we need to understand we're, we're not the home team we're the visiting team nobody's cheering for the visiting team and, and we need to come in and understand that in spite of all of that, in spite of everything, and in spite of what, what we would see as difficulties, what, what God tells us is, is that we're a producing people. We will produce a crop. He says we will produce a crop for him. We will produce a holy and faithful crop. And he's saying that we can change our world. We can change our world through the gospel of Jesus Christ, not through our righteous acts, not through our good works, not through our wealth, not through all that stuff, but simply in staying in tune with the God who called us and created us. That's what he did with Israel. Look, you can go through all kinds of stuff in the Bible, but, but God, here's what God said about Israel. He said, you know what? I didn't call you because you were strong. I didn't call you because you were big. I didn't call, call you because you were... I didn't choose you because you knew how to fight. I chose you because you were nothing. I chose you in spite of all of that. I chose you so that people would see how great I am. That's what he chose. It reminds me, the first church I pastored, the only other church I pastored, when I went there, they said, look, we didn't call you because you can preach. You can learn how to do that. We called you because you're young, and we can't be young. That's encouraging. It's a good way to start. <laughs> and they were great people, and they truly meant it. They loved, they loved us, and they, and they treated us great. They treated us absolutely wonderfully. It was a wonderful time. We had a great time there. And, and, and it was just the truth. They said, look, you can learn how to be a pastor. You can't learn how to be young. We're old. We need somebody young. And, and you're willing to come here and to serve. And, and we, will, we will teach you. We will teach you. And they did. They're great people. But it's just saying, you know what? Here's the deal. God says he, he calls us into this relationship so that we can follow him, so that we can invest in the lives of the people around us and invest in his word and invest ourselves in the kingdom of God so that we can remember who we were before we knew Christ and we can always remember that and move forward so that we can trust him in all situations and all circumstances and then so that we can produce, so that we can produce because that's what he called Israel to do. And these are the charges that he has against him. The charges he has, you're not doing this stuff. This is what I called and created you to do. So this is where he invites us. This is what he wants to do in us. And, and this is what, as we look today, we're going to celebrate a baptism here in just a few moments. And as we do that, you know what that is? That's producing. That's producing in a great way. And, and we're going to watch these young people who have come to know Christ. You know what? 
we're going to watch more production go on as they grow in the word of God and as they learn to trust him and as they learn to walk with him and as they see him uh, modeled in their homes and, and those things come in and that's producing as we pour in, as we pour in as a church, as a church, as they see us in the community, as maybe you come do some work at their house or they see you in your place of work and they look and they watch you and they see you carry yourself as a Christian man or woman in whatever it is that you do and the occupation that God has called and gifted you to be that you're producing for him because that's your ministry. That's what God has called you to. He's called each of us to something and he's doing something great and mighty in our lives and we need to know and to understand that because if we forget it, we'll turn inward and we'll be like Israel and we'll be forsaken and we will be off in the wilderness and we don't want to go there. We want to move forward. We want to see God do great and mighty things in our lives and in the lives around us. And we're going to do that as we stay true to him and to his word. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning praising you for the the amazing promises in your word, for the truth that you've shown us in it. Father, for just the, the, the very blunt and clear way that you show life to us in your word, the, the very, very down-to-earth way that we see life in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, the, the way that we see your people and we see the things that they did, the ways that they were, they were faithful to you and the ways that they were unfaithful. And Father, we pray that as, as we come into your word, Lord, that we would put ourselves in the story and see how you want to move in our lives and how you want to show yourself to us so that we can experience you and make you known to all the people around us and to our world. Father, we praise you and we give you all glory and honor for all things because to you and to you alone, it is due. And Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this morning as, as, as uh, we get ready to sing, I, I want to encourage you to look. And, and first of all, if you've never come to Christ, if, if you hear, you know, saying, you know, I can step into Christ and I can be a part of a family, fully accepted, fully loved, fully apart, fully everything, absolutely. It comes when you step into Christ and you say, you know what, I am a sinner. I acknowledge my sin before God. I have sinned against God. I am asking for the forgiveness of God, trusting that Jesus died on the cross for me, believing that, believing that he came up on the third day, and I'm going to follow him and go all in for him. That's what it is. It's, it's just simply turning from living life on my terms to living on in terms of, of what Jesus has done, saying, I will follow you through thick and thin no matter what. It's placing our faith in him. God enables us to do that, and he calls you to it. If you've never done that, I invite you to do that today, to pray that to God right now. Um, and then for those of us who have made that decision, I, I just want to encourage you to remember Remember, remember what God has called us to. Remember those things that he talked about. And, and what does he want to do? Because God has great plans and purposes for your life. And there's, there are no small players in the kingdom of God. Everybody has a great role to play. And, and everybody has been called for a purpose. And, and what he calls you to is important. It's always important. Would you stand as, as uh, Kirk leads us?